Welcome to this series of podcasts on the IOD's Commission on the Future of Inclusive Business, Harnessing Diverse Talent for Success. The Commission is examining the key barriers to the recruitment, retention and progression of individuals from underrepresented groups, with specific reference to disability, ethnicity, gender and sexual orientation. This series will discuss important themes that the Commission focuses on and aims to provide examples and guidance on building diverse and inclusive workplaces. Welcome to the sixth episode of the Shinkwin Commission podcast series. This episode will focus on the Commission's final recommendations following its research into best practice in creating inclusive workplaces. I'm Alex Hall-Chen, Senior Policy Advisor for Equity, Diversity and Inclusion at the IOD, and I'm pleased to be joined by both Kevin, Lord Chinquin, a member of the House of Lords and Disability Rights Advocate, and by Dr. Roger Barker, Director of Policy and Governance at the IOD. Welcome to you both. Hello, Alex. Thank you very much, Alex. Great. So we know that the current operating environment for businesses is difficult, with concerns about a looming recession. So at a time of rapidly increasing business costs, why do you think it's important for businesses to prioritise EDI now? Kevin, could I come to you first? So Alex, I think that's such an important question and um, has been very much the backdrop uh, against uh, this uh, commission and the work that we've been doing. Um, and I think yeah, we have to accept that, as the Bank of England says, we're, we're now in recession. Um, I, I feel very strongly that not only have I seen firsthand through the excellent work of the Commission that there is a real appetite for ED&I in, in business, but I think it's also going back to the point about recession, a question of do we want to emerge on the front foot? And I think the answer has to be yes. And that means that innovation is key. Uh, innovation in terms of every aspect of a business's strategy and plan for growth. And I see, and I think fellow commissioners see, EDI is integral to that because it makes the business sense at any time. And um, the evidence shows it adds value, it benefits the bottom line, whether it's from McKinsey, the 30% club. And ultimately, it's about talent, it's about building for future success. So I think it's incredibly important that real focus is given to EDI so that it becomes a priority and a, a tool for business as they come through this difficult period and emerge from recession. That's really helpful. Thank you, Kevin. Roger, what are your thoughts? Yes, I think as, as Kevin has said, um, EDI has always been about getting access to talent, you know, maximising the talent pool that business has access to. And that, that will always be the case. That will always, I think, be the fundamental purpose of an inclusive business approach. But during the last year or so, I would say, that, that that's been given added impetus by the fact that we have been experiencing labour shortages in our economy. You know, coming out of the pandemic, 
Um, we haven't had the right people available to fill the necessary um, jobs with the right skills. And so seeking out uh, the necessary talent has become even more challenging and more important. Now, potentially, we're moving in perhaps to a different phase of the economic cycle, um, a more difficult phase with, the, the, as Kevin said, the, the looming spectre of, of, of recession. And I think there, uh, you know, an EDI approach is going to be very important in maintaining trust in business. Um, you know, there may be some tough decisions ahead in certain organisations, and if there is within that context, though, still a lot of trust in the values held by senior management and the values embedded in the organisation, and the fact that that equity. Um, as well as diversity and inclusion are, are important to an organisation, I think it will be much easier for those organisations to deal with these challenges. So it's really, I think, whatever the economic situation, EDI is going to remain um, a very important kind of foundation for every organisation. Absolutely. Thank you, Roger. And the Commission's report examines the role of data in particular in employers' EDI strategies. Kevin, can I ask, what's your perspective on how employers can effectively use data to drive progress on EDI? I think it's helpful for businesses to maybe step back and think, well, how do we operate in a data-free zone? Because if they apply that question to any aspect of their business practice, indeed their business strategy, their plan for growth, it, it falls apart without the effective use of, of data because the business can't understand its baseline, um, how it can uh, compete with um, other businesses and measure progress in terms of, for example, profit and, and growth. Um, and I think the white paper condenses this really helpfully um, because it talks about the need to count, uh, to share, to change. So by counting, developing a strategy, sharing, routinely publishing workforce and pay gap data across the four protected characteristic groups of the commission's focused on, so disability, ethnicity, gender, and sexual orientation, and then change. So using the data to create action plans with targets. And this is a crucial point that came through in the commission's discussions, accountability structures, so that right at the top, the tone that's set, the culture, that is created by the leadership is is recognised as central to how that data uh, is used. Absolutely. Roger, is there anything you'd add to Kevin's analysis? Yes, I think that, I mean, what what the this entire exercise has shown is the importance of, of data. Um, you know, but it's also demonstrated that even though we have to we have to get data because that's the only way we're going to to monitor progress and and you know move forward in terms of um, EDI, there are challenges in obtaining data. Um, it's 
in for many aspects of EDI, um, people may not be entirely enthusiastic about providing data um, about the, their protected characteristics. Um, so this has to be undertaken very sensitively and a good deal of trust has to be built up um, amongst people in the organisation in terms of what this information is going to be used for um, and how, how it's going to affect me personally. But I think that what we concluded, all the discussions that we had with the commissioners and with the, the, the interviews and focus groups that we did as part of um, th this review, um, what they've shown is that despite the difficulties, it's really a key task for each, each organisation to think about how it gets um, data. Now, the approach to seeking data may vary depending on the protected characteristic that, that you are talking about. Um, and certainly, you know, government has moved ahead a good deal in terms of requiring um, gender-based data. For example, companies have to produce uh, data on the, the gender pay gap. Um, other aspects of protected characteristics, though, I think we've still got much further to go in terms of working out how to collect the data. But, um, for example, in our report, Clifford Chance, I think, provide a very good uh, case study of how they, in a very sensitive and voluntary way, have gone about trying to encourage employees to be open about their data. And that's been very successful. So data very important, but, you know, with challenges attached. Absolutely. And, and Roger, you also mentioned earlier the importance of EDI to companies' recruitment strategies, and this is something that the Commission's report looks at in detail. What would be a key recommendation that you would give to a business leader looking to make their recruitment processes more inclusive? Well, I think here, once again, data can be very important um, in terms of analysing what sort of people are applying um, to us for the positions that we offer. Um, what sort of um, appointment decisions are we making? So I think using data at each stage of the recruitment process to, to monitor what sort of decisions are being taken. And of course, then that can then lead to, to, certain, action, to certain actions which may help the process and make it more inclusive uh, and more encouraging of ED&I. Um, you know, such as the way in which we interview candidates, the sort of questions that we ask, the way in which we analyse CVs, and maybe the sort of training that we want to offer to the people who are directly involved in the recruitment process. But before we get to that stage, we need to understand what's going on. And so there, once again, data is key. Absolutely. And, and Kevin, what would your recommendation be around inclusive recruitment? Um, I think the most important recommendation for me is that first and foremost, this is about talent. It's about recruiting the best talent for your business. And that means being open-minded and being prepared to think outside the box as you would do any other opportunity or um, challenge that presented itself. Um, and then it's about ensuring that w once you've recognised that, that your your actual practices reflect it. And so uh, Roger mentioned the importance, for example, of 
how one asks or what questions one asks in, in interviews. And I think you you can only understand that if you actually review your practices. Um, so I think one of the key recommendations in the white paper is carry out a review, um, do some sort of baseline assessment on recruitment, um, and then devise a strategy to support your overall business strategy. So that just as recruitment is never seen as an add-on, uh, it's actually integral to your, your future business success, ED and I should be integral to your, your recruitment practices and strategy. Absolutely. Um, and Kevin, can I also ask, is there anything that you learned from the Commission's work that took you by surprise? Um, I see being taken by surprise maybe as potentially negative when actually I just found it such a positive and rewarding experience. I, I'm obviously immensely grateful to uh, the IOT. Um, for the opportunity to, to chair the commission, but also to my fellow commissioners. I mean, it's such a stellar task, and they've been so generous with their time. So I've learned an awful lot from them. Um, but the most important thing I've learned is the appetite that is out there. Um, and I think that that's reflected in the fact that business really is setting the pace. Um, there's no time, obviously, to rest on laurels, but I find it very encouraging as someone who who is a member of one protected characteristic group, uh, disability. Um, in terms of specific ideas that I've, or lessons that I've learned, um, it would be the importance of leadership. I've been tremendously impressed, and Roger mentioned Clifford Chance. Um, Clifford Chance, DAC, Beechcroft, Page Group, uh, Law Society, um, just to, to give a few examples from the membership of the Commission. I think it was very clear the importance of the leadership and the tone that was set at the top in order to effect um, change of, of culture of the organisation. Again, this comes back to Roger's crucial point about values and the maintenance of trust. Absolutely, thank you. And, and, and Roger, were there learnings from the Commission that you weren't expecting? You know, what, what I thought was really valuable about this whole process was examining what actually worked in practice as opposed to the sort of things which you know, it seemed like a good idea, but actually when they're implemented in, in the real world, perhaps have, have, have less impact. And that's what I thought this the, the, the entire review process allowed us to, to explore. Um, I think there's some, there were some terrific um, ideas and solutions which were being put forward by many companies, particularly the companies uh, being run by our commissioners. And the couple that I'd highlight really were all about enabling senior business leaders to have to engage and understand the perspectives of people throughout the organization in terms of their journey 
with a protected characteristic. So one idea, of course, is, is that of reverse mentoring, um, which is where um, a senior business leader is actually mentored, mentored by um, a much junior person, um, but who is, is working within the business with a, with a protected characteristic. And I think that is a potentially a terrific idea in terms of raising awareness of, of the senior leadership team. Another great idea that I'd point to was something which um, has been implemented very wide, widely by the Page Group. And that is the idea of having um, a shadow board of employees, which consists of employees with different protected characteristics. So a, a, a diversity of perspectives uh, based on their different experiences. Um, that is something which was um, initially rolled out for the main page group board, but which, as I understand it, is now present th throughout the world um, in a variety of, of entities and has been tremendously helpful to the senior management in terms of identifying operational improvements for the group. And actually, it, you know, in a very hard-headed commercial sense, uh, providing a different perspective on board decisions and senior management decisions and thereby really adding value um, to the business. So that that is something that I'm, I'm very proud of in terms of this review, the way in which it offers the reader so many useful and practical suggestions. Brilliant. Thank you. And we've talked a lot about the actions that businesses need to take themselves, but how do you both think that government can support businesses to create inclusive workplaces? Kevin, could I come to you first? I think government does have an important role to play. Um, as a, a parliamentarian, uh, I would say that um, businesses setting the pace, as, as I mentioned earlier, um, sadly, government is is in many cases behind the curve in terms of ED&I. I think government needs to recognise that the narrative is changing because the reality on the ground is already changing. Um, and business, as I mentioned, is is really hungry to drive the ED&I agenda. Um, government still seems trapped in the language of burden rather than opportunity, uh, and particularly equity uh, and equality of opportunity. I think one thing government could do, specifically in addition to changing the overall narrative, is look at how can it facilitate change that business says um, is due for business by ensuring that business can compete for the best talent on a level playing field. So for me, that means transparency and consistency in how data is used, whether it's, for example, uh, workforce uh, data that then enables companies to calculate and publish um, pay gap, uh, regardless of, of which of the four protected uh, characteristics it applies to. Obviously, great sensitivity needs to be uh, taken. It comes back to the issue of trust 
uh, and values um, and uh, some protected characteristics are in a different place, for example, uh, on male-female uh, gender or sex as um, defined by the equality legislation. But overall, I think government has a role to play in facilitating change. Absolutely. And, and Roger, is there anything add, you'd add on the, on the role of government? Yes, I think there will always be an interplay between business and government um, as we move forward in trying to advance different aspects of EDI. <clears throat> it can be very useful, I think, for business to take the lead at certain stages of the process. Um, you know, in a way which you know allows the more progressive and forward-looking businesses to, to, to move ahead, develop good practices, um, and set set an excellent example. But then, of course, at another stage of the cycle, it can be it can be very beneficial for government to come in um, and to, to to really encourage, I suppose, the refusenecks or the laggards to actually up their game. Um, and, 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 you know, get, get with the, pay, the pace of, of best practice. So and I think we've seen that kind of partnership or interplay between, between government action and business action at, di at different stages in areas like, um, uh, you know, the role of encouraging women on boards, for example, the, the development of the gender pay gap um, and so on. Uh, but I'd, ultimately, though, even, the, even if government isn't directly intervening to define regulation, should we say, around um, particular aspects of ED&I, it really can play a role in setting the tone. You know, just as the board of directors and, and the CEO sets the tone for an organisation, well, I think government can also set a tone for the business system as a whole. And so they can be very encouraging um, and very facilitating, as, as Kevin mentioned. And I, and I think, for example, we saw that with the progress that was made by the Davis Review, which really took forward um, the issue of women on boards um, without, at that stage, the need for, for regulatory uh, gender quotas and still was able to, to achieve um, a lot of progress uh, because government was behind um, that initiative, even if it wasn't actively regulating. Really interesting. Thank you. And and finally, Roger, if you have one piece of advice to give to a business leader looking to create a more inclusive workplace, what would it be? I think my key piece of advice would be um, address this issue, even though it's difficult, do your best to address the issue. I think um, some business leaders may be entering into this uh, territory with a bit of trepidation. They may be thinking, well, it's very easy for me, for me to make a misstep here. It's easy for me to say the wrong thing or perhaps create uh, the wrong impression. Um, but I think if you are bold and you are um, acting in good faith and with good intentions, people will be, will um, appreciate that. They will be tolerant with you. And above all, they will appreciate the fact that you are trying to take forward EDI as an issue within your organisation and more generally. So, um, you know, don't let fear hold you back. Um, and address this issue. And if we all do that, then we'll make real progress. Absolutely. And Kevin, what would your key takeaway be? Uh, my key takeaway would be Think positive, think big, 
for your your business, but also have have faith in your ability to to deliver against a number of key objectives indicators. And I would suggest one of them should be EDNI because it makes good business sense to harness the best, most diverse talent. It's good for your business, good for your bottom line, and it deserves and would benefit you if you made it an integral part of your business strategy. Brilliant. Thank you. Kevin and Roger, thank you both so much for your time. To find out more about the Commission's findings and guidance for businesses, please go to our website at iod.com to download the full report. Thank you for listening to this Institute of Directors podcast. For more information on the work of the IOD, including that of the Future of Inclusive Business Commission, please visit our website at iod.com.